View. When it comes to the Orioles, this weekly podcast is your official source for a lack of insight and for baseless opinions. Today is April 12th, 2021, and this is episode 313. My name is Jake English. And I am Scott Magnus. And on this week's show, we'll recover from the euphoria that was the second week of the 2021 season and see what it had in store for the Baltimore Orioles. We'll also get a visit from Matt Kremnitzer. And we'll do all that right after we lubricate the show. That's right. It's time for the drink of the week. Scott Magnus, what are you drinking? Uh, Jake, uh, I have to soothe my sorrows from this past weekend uh, of watching some terrible Orioles baseball. Uh, So I'm going with a Samuel Smith's uh, Organic Chocolate Stout. Um, Everything in a beer that you hate. Um, But I'm enjoying it this evening. That's good. That's a good thing. Uh, I have been working my way through uh, some gin and tonics this week. Uh, just picked up uh, a Plymouth gin, which uh, is is very enjoyable. Want to give a shout out to something I bought at the park on a lamb, uh, uh, and this is the Old Grove Gin and Tonic by Cutwater Spirits. It's in a can. Uh, it's out of San Diego, California. It says Old Grove Gin with natural cucumber and grapefruit flavors, quinine, and and this is the part I love, carbonation. Uh, had low, I had low expectations going in, but was pleasantly surprised. So if you're looking for something at the ballpark and you're, you're insistent on overspending for alcohol at the park, give it a try. Yeah, that sounds, um, some, some pretty good. Um, uh, interesting. It's owned by Bayless Point. Um, so yeah, you're supporting a big, uh, beverage corporation. Once again, congratulations. What can I do? If you're interested to see what big beverage companies we are supporting on a weekly, daily, hourly basis, you can come find us on Untapped for the beer. I'm at Jake E4025. I'm at MEGN8606. And with that, let's head on over to the medical wing. Time for your checkup. Time for your checkup. I'm going to check your ears, check your eyes, find out how much you've grown. Time for your checkup. going to listen to your heartbeat, fix you up, ready to go. Things are pretty quiet on the medical wing. Uh, right now, I think the only thing of note is Austin Hayes, who, as we talked about last week, did hit the 10-day IL with the hamstring. Uh, and, of course, Ryan McKenna has replaced him on the roster. Hunter Harvey still down with the uh, not-Samson-like hair and Chris Davis with the pothole back. Yeah, there was only one additional thing, and that was um, Pat Valaika apparently had meat poisoning. Um, and was designated from assignment from the Baltimore Orioles. So, um, you know, best of luck to him getting over that, um, you know, that stomach ailment. I'm sorry. <laughs> you did just say meat poisoning, correct? Absolutely. If you have too much of that Minnesota meat, you're going to get poisoning from it. Oh, man. Are we no longer doing phrasing? 
No, we're definitely not doing phrasing, uh, especially with a West Coast team coming into Baltimore. It's clearly dongs after dark. So, <laughs> yeah, well, it will be after dark if this rain delay doesn't stop. All right, with that, let us head on over to the week that was in Baltimore Orioles, 280 characters at a time. This week on the Twitters, I want to start with a tweet that comes to us. Well, this is a great tweet. It comes to us from Stefan Frank. Stefan A. Frank. Wait. Are we not putting a bird on this one at Birds Eye View BAL hashtag Orioles? That's right. That's right. We missed uh, putting a bird on it, and uh, and he called us out. And so I I appreciate that. I think that is uh, I think that's important. Jake, you got you got a little cocky, um, you know, with that many wins to start off the season, and um, you know, there's not going to be that many times you can put a bird on it, uh, and um, you drop the ball. Uh, that's all I'm going to say. You drop the ball. Um, pick it up. Okay. I was incredibly on brand with my own failure. Absolutely. Uh, next week comes from Locked on Orioles podcast, uh, and it, it's as follows. Happy 35th birthday to Orioles legend, Brad Rock. I was, I was really hoping we would get a Baltimore on uh, callback. That's that's well done. Uh, but yeah, um, it's there is obviously, um, you know, Connor has been putting these out um, on a daily basis, I'd say, and sometimes multiple times during a daily basis um, where he, he mentions an Orioles legend. Uh, I'm not sure if I would, you know, put Brad Brock in that uh, Orioles legends category, but uh, I think Brad Brock is uh, definitely um, a better Oriole than some of the ones that he has mentioned to this point. Well, I, I think the Orioles legend bit is is uh, is ironic. It's like rain on your wedding day. Don't, what I don't tell my wife is, that. <laughs> what I want to know is, you know, for the many, many years that Connor will be contributing to the, the Birdosphere, what's he going to do next year and on all the years to follow uh, when he runs out of Orioles that have a birthday that day? Uh, there will be always some Oriole that has a birthday. Um, I can't wait to hear about Orioles legend Pat Valaika, um and hear about all the great things. Uh, next one is, well, yeah. This comes from one of our favorites. And again, we're going to be talking to him later in the show. This comes from Matt Kremnitzer, uh, and it's so on brand. Uh, Matt tweets as follows. Me, I can't wait to watch, wait for Orioles baseball. Me again, watches Orioles baseball. Me, and then it's from Arrested Development. Shout out to the Orioles Spastics. I've made a huge mistake. Absolutely. Um, I think we all feel this way to a certain regard of uh, we wait and we wait and we wait. And we just like, I can't wait to see baseball once again. And then you watch and you're just like, man, I'm a real idiot. (laughs) (laughs) Man, it's going to be so great when we get baseball back. Yeah, but I didn't mean this baseball. Let me just tell you, it is um, exponentially higher uh, having to do a podcast uh, on a (laughs) weekly basis, too, uh, and talk about Orioles baseball. But yeah, we'll we'll catch up with Matt later in the show, uh, specifically to talk about what are some reasons why he... Uh, continues to shoot himself in the foot and uh, watch Orioles baseball just like we do uh, on a nightly basis. But before we get there, let's go around the bases uh, for for opening weekend. Well, I guess not for opening weekend, uh, opening weekend for the Baltimore Orioles at home um, and, and get a feel for what the Yankees series also looked like in this past week.
All right, it's that time again. Let's go ahead. Let's go around the bases. I want to start off at first base. And Scotty, let's go ahead and just talk about the elephant in the room. I want to chat briefly about Ryan Wagner. Uh, the Orioles parted ways with their uh, PA announcer. And uh, I just want to say, first and foremost, this sucks. Um, you know, Ryan Wagner was a really good PA announcer. You know, he had personality. Uh, he had a great broadcast quality voice. And he, he served as a as an ambassador for the organization. You know, he, he was at FanFest and he did TV spots and radio ads. And, you know, he was really part of the brand. And uh, I think I think one thing that that's kind of making Birdland scratch its head is that the reason given doesn't seem to match the facts. Right. The team, uh, according to the reports um, by uh, Dan Connolly and some others, you know, said that it was his social media uh, that was responsible for it. And, um, you know, looking through uh, Ryan's social media uh, accounts and, and having interacted with him in the past, it just doesn't seem uh, that egregious. So let me say this, Scott. I, it would be irresponsible, I think, to say that there's something else going on. But the facts don't really match <laughs> the given explanation. Um, and so you have to think that either, um, you know, uh, this was an excuse to terminate based on, you know, something else that's going on that will never see the light of day, or this was a long simmering, you know, pre-existing dispute at a lower level, uh, related to the social media posts. Yeah, it's, um, it's very awkward. Um, and again, just the timing of the matter is very, you know, odd too, you know, uh, it, it came out with Dan Connolly's point that, um. You know, Ryan was on WJZ just earlier on opening day morning um, doing, you know, clips with the local broadcast team um, to get people kind of hyped up for it. And certainly Ryan was very excited for it, too. So um, I don't know exactly what transpired, um, but, you know, I think there's a few things. Um, I do think this was kind of a a longer standing standpoint. Um, I don't think it was financial because it doesn't make sense to do it on the day of opening day. Um, I think, you know, I hate to say it, but I think Ryan was somewhat blindsided by the whole, you know, issue as well. Um, and I, I don't think it was a specific incident. Um, I'm not saying that we hover over Twitter. Um, <laughs> but I would say that, um, our, we're there in more instances than not. So I, I think there's something else going on behind the scenes here. Um, something was said, something was, you know, um, not done appropriately. Um, but again, I'm not going to speculate uh, on the specific details of whatever it would be. I'm more in your camp, which is I'm disappointed to see Ryan go um, because just like we have lost other individuals through Masson and the radio, um, uh, there are going to be memories there um, is the best way to put it. Um, and I'm going to miss, um, you know, the, that gravitas in, 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 in Camden Yard. So, um, Ryan, I hope you'll land well on your feet. Um, I know you will find something out there. Um, you're a very talented individual. Um, but yeah, it's just really bad news in, in my book. Yeah. I mean, again, you know, uh, I think Ryan Wagner made the experience of the ballpark better. Um, and it made, uh, losing baseball a little easier to watch and it made, um, you know, the winning baseball that much more a heightened experience. Um, so again, we wish him well and we will certainly miss him. Uh, being part of our days at the park. Right. All right, let's go ahead to second base. And, oh, Scott, 
oh no, we suck again. Not a good week for the birds. Not a good week. What what went wrong? At which point did we lose control here? Yeah, I mean, um, there was everything came to play this week. Um, you know, the bullpen was um, an adventure. It was a disaster. Um, posting a greater than five uh, ERA uh, throughout this entire week, um, and we, we saw a, a cornucopia of you know mixed starter or mixed you know failed starters and Sean Armstrong, Wade Blanc. I'm sorry, Wade Blanc. Um, we saw the two Rule Five pitchers. We saw Dylan Tate not have much success. Um, you know, in in reality, you know, the Orioles, you know, had a few games where they could have won if the bullpen would have been able to shut down, um, but that was not the case. You know, we talked positively as well, though, about, you know, the Orioles winning last week. Um, and Brandon Hyde had mentioned this at the end of the original Red Sox series. He said, I'm glad that we won, but I'm, I'm upset about the strikeouts that we had. And certainly it looks like looking at the strikeout weights, too, the offense is in trouble, too. So, you know, in, in general, you know, I understand that on Sunday the Orioles had a lot of runs, um, but the Orioles can't get it together on both sides of the diamond, which again is prototypical for a bad team. Um, I guess Jake on my end, you know, looking at, you know, the bullpen performances and then looking at the offensive woes in terms of strikeouts. um, What concerns you more over a longer season? I think for me, it's probably the offense. And I say that because there were fewer pieces in the bullpen that I expect to be part of a winning Orioles team. And the parts that, that may be are not necessarily the, the, pieces that we're talking about. Uh, You know, we conspicuously have not talked about Tanner Scott because he hasn't really let us down that much. Uh, Tanner Scott could be part of the next winning Orioles team, right? That's not so much the case of Sean Armstrong or Cesar Valdez or Will LeBlanc. Um, But when you look at the offense, I think that there are guys that will be part of the next winning team. You know, the fact that we are not singing the praises of Ryan Mountcastle right now it is a bit of a bummer, um, and that's not to say that it's worth getting our you know worth getting all upset about. But over the course of the season, I think there will be more players on the offensive side of the house that I want to see steps forward from and see do well that will be meaningful for the club. Now, again, you talked about the one-year rental guys. You know, if Freddie Galvis fails to produce all year it won't won't bother me but when you talk about some of the guys that are young enough that may still be here when it matters that's the thing that'll concern me yeah i mean i agree with you i think the offensive woes specifically the k rate is what unnerves me the most um at this given time um and you know i think there are some individuals that are pressing um and they're going to come out of it um but but it does unnerve me a little bit i think the other thing that really concerns me more um on this you know that we didn't talk about yet is there's been a lot of poor um defensive miscues and a lot of sloppy base running um and again that'll show up eventually in a longer term stat sheet um but it's something that concerns me but yeah i mean when i look at you know the 2023 to 2024 orioles it certainly concerns me to see players like ryan mountcastle struggling um because i say to myself okay if he's supposed to be your great bat in the farm system what's going on here Um, and what does that mean for the future absolutely and it'll be interesting to see you know again we deal on a week-to-week basis so it's always small sample size unfortunately this is just 
all we've seen outside, you know, those, those three wins in Boston is some really unpleasant baseball. Obviously at any given time, the team is not as bad as they seem or as great as they seem. Uh, but we'll have to watch with a careful eye throughout the remainder of the season. You know, I think the bullpen will be a work in progress, uh, you know, bullpen by committee up and down on the Norfolk shuttle. I don't know that the, the starting nine, you know, the starting, uh, 11 for the offense is the same. I, I think that those guys are probably here to stay unless they really force the issue with their, uh, their failures. Yeah. I mean, I, I agree with you that um, I think the offense is going to be what we are going to see. We might see a few minor modifications, but um, in reality, I think some folks are talking about using the ideas, but again, we already have plenty of outfielders, especially with Austin Hayes coming back in the near future. Um, so I, I think it's get comfortable. <laughs> sure. Uh, Kenny pitch. Yeah. Kenny pitch. I mean, if Adley Rutschman could pitch, that'd be great. Um, pitching, <laughs> hitting, catching. It'd be great. Bugs Bunny out there. Jesus and cleats. But let's talk about one good offensive uh, performance that's been going on lately at third base. And Cedric Mullins has been all sorts of fun to watch. Um, hitting lefties really well. Six for 11 with a double. Playing some plus center field with some excellent um, diving catches. Um, we, we talked a little bit about this last week, but Cedric Mullins is an absolute pleasure to watch right now. He absolutely is. And it, it's one of those things that, again, feels like a steal, right? If we get a Cedric Mullins who can sustain, yeah, sure, he won't hit 400 all season. But if he can sustain positive play and become a plus player at the major league level, given where he was last year, given where he was in, you know, in 2019, what an amazing coup to have. And the other thing I think about is that this is the guy that we thought we were getting, that we we hoped we might get when Adam Jones stepped aside to play right field and Cedric Mullins went to play center. You know, it wasn't nobody that Cedric Mullins was replacing. And so it's nice to see some return on that emotional investment. Yeah, I mean, I don't think um, anybody expects or, you know, is thinking that Cedric Mullins is going to continue this. I mean, the numbers he's posting right now of a 459, average of 512 on base percentage, a WOBA of 509, and a weighted runs created plus a 229. That's amazing. Um, I mean, it puts him in the top 10 for the league in terms of war right now. Um, but you look at that Babbitt at 593, and that's down from a 700 that he had <laughs> at the first portion <laughs> of the season. Um you know, it eventually is going to um, tailor out. But what I do like to see is a 9.8% walk rate and a 22% K rate. Um, and, you know, the BAPIP will definitely come down. But I like seeing that walk rate and the K rate appropriately because that tells me he could have success at the top of the order for a longer period of time. Um, and that's much more interesting to me than than the other numbers. Yeah, absolutely. And, and again, like you said, he, he's doing it all. On the base paths, in the field, in the batter's box, he really is a is a unique weapon uh, and and a lot of fun to watch. All right, let's go on into home plate. Um, let's talk about the opening week uh, experience. Um, Jake, we were able to go back to the ballpark uh, on Thursday for opening day, uh, and it was it was fun to get back into the park and just see it. Um, definitely different um, than you know we have typically seen for Baltimore Orioles games. And I know there'll be that joke of, well, yeah, there's like 10,000 people. So that should be like a normal Orioles game. Um, but I don't know, Jake, it, it definitely, there was a different aura. Um, there was a different vibe uh, to the park. 
you know, safety obviously was of you know paramount importance. Um, ushers were walking around, um, you know, asking people to please mask up. Um, you know, people were trying to social distance as best as possible, but um, there were obvious issues with it in, in certain concession lines, um, in the bathroom areas. Um, I don't know, Jake, like what were your general impressions kind of walking into the stadium and just kind of wandering about? Well, I mean, it wasn't lost on me just how good it felt to be back at Camden Yards. I mean, you know, it seems silly uh, with everything else that's going on and how serious the pandemic is um, to to miss a thing like in-person baseball. But I missed in-person baseball. Like, it felt really great to be able to walk back into the building and know that I was going to be able to, to watch an Orioles game. It just... It felt amazing. And of course, you know, that's something that we do with friends and family. So, you know, um, you know, being able to go with you guys on opening day, being able to, to take our kids on, on Sunday for kids opening day. Um, it, it was just, you know, we talked a little bit uh, about, you know, what normalcy is. And it was it was nice to, to be able to feel that a little bit. And, you know, you mentioned uh, safety at the park. I thought the Orioles did a did a pretty good job of, um, you know, creating an environment where people could feel safe. Um, I agree with you. I think the only place where, where that fell down was the enforcement of uh, social distancing on the concourse in, in um, concession lines and maybe, you know, during the, uh, you know, lines to get into the ballpark. Um, But I think that's probably something they'll get feedback on and, and tighten up as the season goes on. I, I think everything else was, was fine. Um, and I think that, you know, it sure is, it, it beats watching from home. Um, and hopefully, um, you know, if there's enough, uh, responsible behavior elsewhere, uh, we'll be able to do more of this, you know, with more people back in the stands. Uh, but yeah, it was, it was a lot of fun to get back, uh, to baseball and sure we didn't, uh, didn't have any wins to show for us, but, uh, you know, not a bad day to be at the park. No, I mean, definitely a, a good way to do it. Um, opening day was really fun just having that kind of 10 to 11,000 people there welcoming Trey Mancini back to Baltimore. Um, we got to see Trey Mancini hit, um, a few home runs as well this, this past weekend, which was nice. Um, like I said, just, just, just interesting, but there were a few things that I would say that, uh, weren't great to see. Um, one of them was the ceremonial first pitch and, um, a significant amount of booing for the mayor of Baltimore, which kind of surprised me um, because again, you know, uh, I am certainly not one to basically approve or disprove of, you know, anything that any politician does, but, you know, thinking to what Brandon Scott has done to this point, I, I can't think of anything extremely negative um, that he has done to this point. Um, and I, I just didn't understand the vitriol that was, that was present um, by certain, we'll call it white individuals um, that are probably not from the city. Um, so I, I, I don't want to put it as strictly as the as simple as, well, we saw racist tendencies, but a part of me wants to say, did we just see racist tendencies? No, I, I think that, you know, it's a result of, you know, a concerted effort to, um, you know, to have the leadership of Baltimore be be seen uh, in a negative light, you know, from whether it be the the local Sinclair station or what have you. But I agree with you. I, I do think that it it was a bad look um, for you know opening day in the city of Baltimore to have the mayor of Baltimore go to to 
deliver the ceremonial first pitch and for there to be a large chunk of the people there uh, booing. It's just uh, just yeah. ugly. That's, just don't that's get it. Um, you know, obviously there has been scandal that has occurred within Baltimore at, at the mayoral ranks. But again, I, I just look at what Brandon Scott has done to date. And certainly uh, I think if you come back and take a look at Facebook, which again, I try not to do, but I generally will come across it. Uh, I believe a few individuals said, why are we celebrating an individual? Um, does, don't we realize that there are still murders going on within Baltimore? And I, I would say to that, if we really expected Brandon Scott to come in uh, and be mayor uh, and say, hey, we're going to solve the murder problem in Baltimore City uh, in a few short months, um, he should get um, a Nobel Peace Prize immediately. Um, and he should immediately be uh, promoted to a mayor of another city um, with a larger uh, populace. Um, but yeah, it's just, it's these weird notions um, that people have of what is to be expected of some individuals. Um, so yeah, not a good look. Um, and I'm, I'm going to call a spade a spade. I, I, looking around at the individuals that were booing and flicking off him and giving middle fingers, uh, all white middle-aged males, um, which clearly depicts to me exactly what it truly is. Let me say something else that was not a good look for the stadium. Lots of Red Sox fans. And look, I, I know they they crawl out from underneath the woodwork every time the Red Sox are in town. But From the dirty boy, water? I do not enjoy going to baseball games with Red Sox fans. It's just not fun. Yeah, I mean, you're, you're right that um, there, there doesn't seem to be uh, a decor is the best way to describe it in terms of, you know, when to root and when not to root. It's almost like we are going to be loud because no one's going to call us out for it. Um, so, yeah, I mean, the other standing is I we can look around very quickly and be like, it's during the middle of COVID. People are not really traveling in between states. Okay. We know where, you, you're, where you're coming from. It's okay. Like, you can just admit it that... Uh, you're coming from the Jason Lock and Four area. We understand. I mean, Scott, you got to admit, it's a really long drive back to Falston and Arbutus and Westminster. I mean, it's it's rough. It's rough for those Red Sox fans. But, you know, have some pity on them. You have to understand when they were 10, their uncle gave them a Red Sox hat and it was all over for him. Um, quibbles aside, uh, the opening weekend experience was phenomenal. I mean, we went to Sunday's game, the Orioles got the tar beat out of them and it was still a great day at the park. Uh, one thing that, that you mentioned was, you know, being able to welcome back, uh, Trey Mancini. That was a great feeling, uh, to be able to be, be part of, um, you know, welcoming Trey back to, to Baltimore baseball. I wonder you know, if it'll be like that all year, like how long will it be that uh, he continues to get those, those, you know, deservedly so, but warm welcomes uh, from the fans. So I think when he visits other ballparks for the first time, he will, he may get a warm you know, notion from the clean other team or something like that. Um, but I, I don't think it's going to, I mean, I don't think it's going to happen at Camden Yards anymore. I don't remember seeing it on Saturday. Um, so I don't remember even seeing it on Sunday that much. I mean, I think it was like a, a round of applause, but not like a standing ovation. So uh, I don't think Trey wants that. I don't think he wants this kind of tour of basically uh, an homage. I think he just wants to go back and, um, you know, just get back to playing baseball um, and, and starting it off. 
Yeah, well, and he's certainly on his way, especially with the uh, runs driven in on Sunday. All right, anything else that we missed from the opening week experience? I think the only other thing I'd say, too, that you know I quickly came to the resolution on, too, is it'll be interesting to me to see how long the Orioles keep the current food and drink policy in effect, um, just as season ticket holders. Uh, I can quickly see how costly it can become, especially for a family of four. Um, so uh, like I said, we are certainly in a privileged area in terms of our financial, um, aspects, but, um, I, I do wonder how that will impact it on a, on a longer term basis. And I don't quite understand how that restriction, um, prevents, um, or helps further safety initiatives based off what I have seen to date. Um, so like I said, I think as we've seen for COVID, uh, COVID policies have a tendency to adapt, evolve. Um, I think the Orioles are going to have to look at that sooner rather than later to really figure out, is that the right decision that is being made at this given time? Outside of that, I think the Orioles did a great job, like you said, from all their safety protocols. Fair enough. All right, so there you have it. That's around the bases for this week in Orioles baseball. What do you say, Scotty? Let's take a quick break, and when we come back, the man, the myth, the legend, Matt Kremenser, will join us. All right, well, we mentioned it at the top of the show for this week on the Twitters. As we mentioned earlier, we're joined on Bird's Eye View by Matt Kremenser. Matt has been a long staple of Orioles Twitter. Uh, he makes frequent appearances on this week on the Twitters. Also is writing for Press Box Online, and he has sullied his good name by joining us uh, here this evening. Matt, thanks so much for joining us. I appreciate that. Thank you, guys. So uh, here we are. Uh, we're, we're enduring another Orioles baseball season, uh, you know, whether or not we think it's a good idea, but we here at birds of you, we really appreciate, um, you know, your spin on things, uh, your great follow on Twitter. One of the things that I feel that you excel at is finding just the perfect moment to provide just the perfect meme, uh, when I'm really mad at the Orioles. And so I'd like you just to, to do a little prognostication look ahead. What do you think is going to be the, the most memeable, the most gifable moment from this 2021 season? Oh, that they've done so far uh, in the, these okay. first few games? Or No, I mean, look, look far afield. Okay. Uh, well, it might have just happened in this past series uh, with that Red Sox, um, the Red Sox series where they booted the ball around and threw it home. Um, I might go to that one a few different times. I think Connor Connor Newcomb um, might have put that out there. Uh, I don't know. I, I I love the Matt Albers face, so I'm probably going to use that a ton, uh, <laughs> as you guys use it as well. Uh, that's always a, a good one for plenty of Orioles moments. I I think that there is going to be a moment later this season when John Means is just pitching a butte and the team lets him down in the field and the mass and camera is going to catch his just look of despair and exasperation. And that I think is going to become the next thing. That's, I, I wouldn't say I'm looking forward to it, but um, 
I, I plan on capturing it in all its glory. I'd, I'd say that there's probably not as many uh, pictures of Brandon Hyde looking frustrated in the dugout as you would expect. I, I think I've gone searching before and found a couple, but it seems like considering the, the number of weird plays the Orioles have that the camera should always pan to Hyde just looking mad or furious or, or confused or whatever. I, I think the Hyde face is, is a good one as well. It's interesting because you think back to the years of the Showalter regime and it seemed like the massing cameras would always kind of trigger back over to Buck of just, you know, looking, you know, surly or just kind of annoyed with a given play. Um, and, and Brandon Hyde, I don't think it gets that generalized treatment um, by the massing cameras. Maybe it's something he said and said, hey, I don't want to be part of that. Um, or maybe it's just, you know, the Showalter personality where the team um, knew they could play off of that. But I, I would agree with it. Brandon Hyde has certainly not um, been very gifable um, in, in the past. I also, I, I feel kind of bad for Brandon Hyde. Um, I mean, I, I see all the time after the Orioles lose a tough game or maybe there's a bullpen decision that someone disagrees with for, for whatever reason, even though there's like three relievers you trust. Um, what is he supposed to be doing that he's not doing? Um, maybe moving someone in the lineup a little bit differently, maybe picking a, a different reliever. I don't understand why people hate him sometimes. I mean, I think I think most of the fan base understands and realizes he's doing a, a good job with some of these young guys. But I, I don't – maybe it's just a, a, a normal fan reaction um, to blame the manager for whatever reason. I, I don't really get it. And so maybe it's like a pity kind of thing where they, they feel bad for him and they don't want to kind of pile on. I, I think we're in an interesting scenario, and I think we've seen this um, over the past four years very much so, where we've got one part of the fan base that, um, like you said, Matt, might be a little bit more educated understanding of the given resources that are available. Um, and you know, in regard to it, um, what state the Orioles are in right now, that they're clearly in a rebuild territory. Um, and then I think you can quickly go onto Orioles Facebook, and you can see some really, um, we'll call it um, ridiculous outtakes uh, in terms of blaming uh, Brandon Hyde for certain things. I mean, me and Jake were at uh, the game on Sunday and we're sitting behind some individuals that couldn't understand why Brandon Hyde was allowing Sean Armstrong to pitch. Uh, and I'm thinking to myself, well, who else is going to pitch in this game besides you've already gone through your two row five pitchers. Like Sean Armstrong's got to pitch at some point. Why not put him in at this point? But it was almost like they were holding Brandon Hyde accountable uh, for bringing Sean Armstrong in and allowing him to pitch in that game, which um, that game was already far enough apart um, that it didn't matter who was going to pitch. And Sean Armstrong was a perfectly legitimate candidate. Yeah. I mean, and even just going back to the shortened season last year, I mean, he was one of the, uh, talking about Armstrong. He was one of the guys they relied on in the you know seventh, eighth inning. Are, are they not supposed to trust him at all? The first few games of the season. I mean, you know, somebody has to pitch and somebody has to get outs and it can't always be Tanner Scott. Right, exactly. Yeah, so. And by the end of the season, you know, Sean Armstrong might go back to being one of the more dependable arms in the bullpen again, even if it's just out of comparison to the other guys. I mean, I, I, it's, I'm interested. it's a small sample size. I mean, we, we talked about this last year during the shortened season, and people are like, man, Miguel Castro is so good. Like, maybe he's finally got it together. And I'm like, small sample size, guys. It's Miguel Castro. We've seen enough of Miguel Castro to kind of know what he is. And, and sure enough, he blew up. Um, so I, I agree with you, Matt, that I think it's a lot of people making a big deal over a very minute sample size. Um, and also him coming off a really, you know, uh, interesting time with just having a kid as well. Like, I can't imagine all the emotion that is running through him at this given time. 
That's a great point. As someone who has three kids running around during COVID and everything, I can uh, I can completely agree with, uh, <laughs> with that added stress on top of everything. Um, and I mean, even just looking at the bullpen now, I mean, your your top three guys who you trust would probably be in some order: Valdez, Scott, and I guess Adam Plutko. I guess so. <laughs> yeah, or for I mean, now, or, or Tate. Um, and you know, they they gave Tate a chance, and he walked a few guys in, in the last game. So. You know, it's early in the season, like you guys mentioned, and, and things can change quickly. It's not as it's not you know it's actually a full season. It's not a short season, so we'll we'll be able to see over these next few weeks. But I mean, there's going to be a lot of moves. There's going to be a lot of guys that uh, get sent up and get sent down. And I, you know, just getting back to the original point, I don't really know what Brandon Hyde is supposed to do with with you know whatever he's given on the active roster. You know, I, I think it's interesting to try to judge Brandon Hyde. Um, you know when. Buck Showalter arrived. Uh, he was such a breath of fresh air that even at the end of that 2011 season, we were able to draw distinctions between what we had seen in the past and this new Buck Showalter era and talk about it glowingly. And then, of course, you know, it, it worked in, in Baltimore. I wonder how we can judge Brandon Hyde. And the other thing I wonder is whether or not Brandon Hyde is going to be given the opportunity to manage the next good Orioles or whether he is going to be one of those, um, you know, keep the seat warm type of guys until, um, you know, the Orioles can contend and then they, you know, they may bring somebody else in. What, do you have any thoughts about that? Uh, a little bit. I mean, it, he's kind of the elephant in the room, right? It, it's always like they bring in the first guy to deal with all the losing. And then you bring in the next guy who's really your guy when you're closer to winning. Um, I wouldn't be surprised at all if, if they did that. Um, I think it's kind of, crappy for for Hyde and you know that, that he has to go through that but it also the, the whole this topic kind of touches on something that I've been struggling with as a fan it's kind of like you know it's basically what his job is you're kind of straddling that line of hoping for de- development but as a fan you also want to see the Orioles win and I, I'm never going to be the guy who's rooting for that first or second draft pick um, you love to have someone like Adley Rushman but I'm not just going to be like watching the game and being like okay blow this now you, you bet you guys have been fine blow this, blow this game. So you get the higher draft pick. Um, and if that's how you, you, you want to be a fan, that's fine. I'm not here to tell you how to be a fan. I just, I, I can't do that. So, you know, in terms of what Hyde is supposed to do, um, it's nice to see some young players like Zimmerman uh, play well. Um, you know, he, there's some progress there and a few of the other guys too, with, with, I guess means isn't really a young guy, but you know, there, there are some guys that are interesting and there's going to be even more, as the season goes along, but I, I you know, is he the long-term manager for this team? I don't, I don't see how you can commit to that right now. Yeah. I mean, I think uh, it, it's an interesting scenario. Like you said, it's, he's an elf in the room and, you know, even, even you look at his pitching coach and Chris Holt, you know, he's, you know, in charge of pitching development as well. Um, and, you know, Brandon Hyde doesn't have really have this role from a development standpoint, you know, He's in this manager position, but you don't really understand where he kind of lies in the pecking order um, of the Elias Medell regime, um, as it were. So um, definitely an interesting individual, someone that is extremely important for the next few years. But I kind of agree with you, Matt, that, you know, I think, you know, in two to three years, um, the Orioles are going to likely move on from him. And then it's going to be the question of, you know, where does he go? Does he stay within the organization and potentially take a, you know, a different role in the organization or does he go on to another team that is also looking to rebuild um, and, in essence, you know, get another job offer um, at that given time? 
Um, so, I mean, I, like I said, for, for the first manager job uh, for Brandon Hyde, um, I think he's, you know, establishing his resume. Um, and I don't think he's done anything extremely negative to this point. Um, at the same point, I don't know if I would say he's done anything extremely positive as well. He's just kind of floating there. I, I think that's fair. And we haven't even talked about uh, maybe the biggest hurdle that he's had to d- to deal with, and that's the, the entire Chris Davis thing. Yeah. Um, even, even right now, Chris Davis isn't really even a- around. I, I don't know what he's doing besides rehabbing. Um, I'm, I'm afraid if we keep saying his name, he'll come back. Yeah, maybe I should just stop right now. The player that shall not be named. <laughs> yeah, but you're actually right. I mean, you look at that short season last year, and um, let's just call it it was a, a floating albatross um, with with him. Um, and, you know, eventually the Orioles are going to have to make that decision. But um, certainly I think Brandon Hyde is happy to not have to um, roster manage with Chris Davis uh, on on the mound, um, especially with, you know, Ryan Mountcastle and Trey Mancini trying to find, in essence, where they're going to play as well. So. Um, I, let's leave Chris Davis on an island um, and kind of go into you know some other things that are going about. We've been talking um, ad nauseum about um, you know some of the changes and some of the issues that Masson has had, um, and obviously there has been talk um, between both of us actually in regards to the Orioles announcers. You know some of the new blood that they have brought in um, with Kevin Brown, Jeff Arnold, Melanie Newman, um, and of course Brett Hollander. Brett Hollander, yeah. But like tonight, you've got Ben McDonald and uh, Kevin Brown calling it. Um, but obviously, you know, bringing in a, someone like Scott Garso last year um, was you know something that I think hit to a lot of those uh, individuals um, that maybe on that Facebook Orioles standpoint that they were really excited to see Scott Garso in the booth. Um, and you know, as a Baltimore legend, Matt, um, I know you have been very um, acutely aware that you haven't been very fond of him. I mean, what does Masson look like going forward in the future? I mean, it feels like similar to the Orioles um, in terms of some of the trades that they have done, they're almost taking a shotgun approach where they basically went out and brought in a bunch of people to figure out who is going to resonate with the fan base and the audience going forward. Um, And I I just don't see a strategy, as it were, for Masson on a whole, both with the announcers, uh, the failed app delivery that is going on right now. Um, It just seems like it eventually is going to be into a territory where um, Masson is eventually sold or bought out by uh, another organization. Um, give me some perspective on your end of like what what you make of this whole debacle, I guess is the best way to put it. Uh, it, it does seem like there's some kind of, this is like a bridge or something to hopefully a, a better announcing situation, at least in terms of the main play-by-play guy. I do feel like sometimes I'm picking on Garceau because in reality, this isn't really his fault, right? I mean, they're picking him to be the main guy for for whatever reason, and a lot of fans are okay with it, and a lot of fans really, really aren't okay with it. Um, you're already being asked to watch a team that's that's not very good, and now you've taken away someone that they kind of re- uh, you know they they, they were close with uh, in terms of Thorne, who some recognize his flaws. He's not a perfect announcer, but you like turning in a game because he's charming, he's funny, um, and he just he, it was kind of like a great duo there with Palmer. Um, I. I I do feel bad for Palmer too, because he seems kind of overwhelmed at, at times he's doing play by play on his own, either because Garceau is doing something else or just forgets to uh, interject with, with what's going on in the field. Um, and the larger question, uh, it's just bad. It's just not very good optics. I, I would say um, you, you want to give your fans a reason to turn in, maybe not even just the, the, you know, what's going on in the field, which a lot of fans understand this is a rebuild. It's going to be rough. And now you're also being asked to listen to Scott Garceau. 
Yeah, um, it's a really so, weird time too. I mean, you've got a bunch of fans, not just in the Baltimore marketplace, but in general, that are cord cutting, and in essence, saying I'm not willing to make that commitment um, going forward. So it's a really odd time, and it's an even odder time with the whole you know Masson agreements and you know liquidity is being an issue at Masson at this given time. But you know, I just think about Baltimore history as a whole, and you know, announcers have been such a a clear dichotomy in terms of being important to the Baltimore sports fan, whether it be through like Chuck Thompson or John Miller, even Fred Manfred, Joe Angel. Um, and like I said, I'm not sure if I would put Gary into that category. Um, I certainly, you know, think he was a really great announcer, um, but I don't know if all Orioles fans felt that way. Um, but, you know, it, it's been such an important basis for being a Baltimore Orioles fan that it's odd that they were just say, that's not that important that we're just going to, in essence, shelve that and go with just a generic individual. Um, even Garceau, who, you know, has a lasting legacy, um, there is a reason why, you know, the Ravens moved away from Scott Garceau um, as a play-by-play announcer um, accordingly because he just didn't mash up with what they were trying to do. <laughs> I think a really interesting question, though, is is will Masson care enough to do anything about it, right? It, it is not likely that you move on from really great announcers. And I, I think Gary Thorne for what this market needed was a really great announcer. Um, and certainly on the radio side, doesn't get any more really great than, you know, Joe Angel, right? But to go from, you know, a really great announcer to another, you know, really great announcer right away, that's that's tough. So I, I understand that, you know, some sort of transition is necessary. You can't say that Masson didn't didn't uh, invest, right? They They certainly... Uh, brought in a whole new stable of talent, um, you know, some with some pre-existing relationships in the Baltimore community, Hollander and, and Garceau. Um, but it's like, with Jeff, but Jake, it's like, it's like trading Manny Machado for like five prospects. Like it doesn't mean that you get a similar talent level. You just basically right. shotgun approach and said, hopefully one of these turns into be an all-star at some point. <laughs> well, what I'm saying is that clearly right now it's not working. And so I, I want to know, like, do they care enough to do anything about it, or are we just going to have to live with it? And if so, how long? I mean, uh, Matt, you can answer it, but I mean, I don't think anything is going to happen with Mass. And I think there is other criteria and everything like that. I, I think, you know, coming back to your question of, you know, how long does it last? Um, I mean, I think it lasts until Masson is done. Uh, and I, I think that's the bigger question in my mind is, how long does Masson have to exist um, going forward in its current format? Yeah, I'm not. I'm not sure about that. Um, but just the, the the main point to me um, of of having something that you could tune into and not have to mute it immediately because you're just like I, I can't I can't deal with this. Um, I, it would be nice if if Kevin Brown eventually became that guy. Uh, I don't know if they're going to have someone who's like the, the full time guy. Even Thorn Thorn and Palmer they they didn't do all 162 games like the the Nationals bad crew. Um, so, you know, are, are they, is Kevin Brown going to be the guy for, for half the games? I don't even know what his schedule is for this year. Uh, it'd be nice if he's doing half the games this year. I don't know. I think, and I think the games rained out tonight. I haven't seen the update, so I don't know if he'll get to, to do any announcing tonight. Um, but he, you know, that, that's a start for me. Um, not having to listen to Garceau for, for half the games or so, or even the, the couple of spring training games that we're blessed with. Yeah. I mean, I, I think, um, you know, we have heard a few highlights now, and we've heard Kevin Brown long enough that there's promise behind that voice. It's just we've got to get used to it, and we've got to also tie it back to some really special plays, too. I mean, 
Um, you think back to Gary Thorne and you think back to obviously some really special times during that Showalter era. If the Orioles are not very good, then it doesn't really matter, um, all things considered. Um, but hopefully the Orioles are going to be good in the next few years. I don't think that's going to be this year or even next year. Uh, but hopefully by 2023, 2024, there is a solid um, cast of individuals at Masson that are able to, uh, in essence, tell the story of a, a decent or good baseball team at that point. Um, but right now, uh, I kind of feel like they're Brandon Hyde. They're kind of elephants in the room, and we're trying to figure out what does it look like in the future. So, Matt, um, you know, in, in terms of, you know, the Orioles organization and stuff like that, as I mentioned, this whole aspect of, like, obviously, we're in this rebuild period. You know, my hope is that they are at least putting out a somewhat competitive baseball team in 2023, 2024. I'm not saying that they're going to, you know, go to a playoff position or win the World Series by that point. But, you know, how far off do you think the Orioles are um, in, in your mind in terms of being a kind of a winning and competitive baseball team once again? Uh, in terms of challenging for a playoff spot, I would say the year after next. Okay, um, it, it pretty clearly isn't isn't this year. Hopefully next year, uh, you know, maybe if, if everything breaks right and Rushman is amazing and some of these other guys keep keep stepping forward, but you know, probably not if we're being realistic. So, you know, maybe year after next, I think is is a fair point. And if if a lot of fans are not happy about that, I think that's justified. You know, it's four years, right? So that's a, that's a long time of, of you know pretty bad baseball. Um, even so, it, 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 a lot of times being being able to tune in and, and not even enjoying what you're watching. I mean, this is supposed to be fun, right? There's a difference between boring and, and bad and embarrassing and just bad but kind of fun, right? Um, and the Orioles have had those teams over the years, but this I don't know if this team right now is one, at least until some other prospects come up. I think it's a tough standpoint too because. You know, obviously, we had the dark ages there from 98 um, through 2011, um, where the Orioles were just really bad. And even, you know, years they were going to be decent um, in like 2005. Um, and then all of a sudden, they kind of hit the wall and basically spontaneously combusted. I think the worst thing that could happen is to have, once again, a, an extended drought. Um, just being able to even go out there and play 500 baseball where you can get into August and September and still be playing competitive baseball. Um, I think is so important um, to keep that fan base alive. Um, so we say like, well, four years or five years is enough. Like eventually you have to see good baseball, but Orioles fans are used to, you know, this aspect of seeing really bad baseball. Um, so, you know, looking at the pipeline, you know, we mentioned Rutschman, we mentioned, you know, we can talk about Dia Hall and Grayson Rodriguez. I think those are more as known as possible from a prospect standpoint, but, you know, you look at the pipelines and how they're rated and stuff like that. What is your biggest concern um, at this given time of why they might not be competitive um, in 2023 um, based off of what you see at this time in, in the farm system? Uh, I don't know if I can pinpoint anything exactly. Um, I, I can tell you that I'm excited to actually, you know, hopefully by then see an actual infield prospect. Yeah. It, it might be too early for Henderson or Westberg. Um, but I, I really want to see some up the field, up, up the middle uh, infielders. Um, I don't know if Henderson is that guy. Hopefully Westberg can stick at shortstop. Uh, so I, maybe maybe that's that maybe that's the main point then. If if they can actually develop some quality infielders, um, pitching is is looking uh, you know promising. Outfield, if if this is even close to what Mullins is now, I mean you're you're in a pretty good pretty good uh, uh, shape for that. I, I agree with you, and it's an interesting scenario. Because, and I was talking to a, a, an older individual about this recently, 
And it's interesting to take a look at Orioles history because the infield has always been such a staple point for the Baltimore Orioles throughout their entire history, you know, from Ripken to Brooks. But, you know, even, you know, you know, bit players have been such an important role in terms of that infield. And I look at development uh, in the minors and obviously we've been very pitching centric um, for the past few years. Um, and I think that's so important. But I struggle with that basis of saying, who is my infield going to look like in 2023 and 2024, specifically off the middle of who's going to be my shortstop and who's going to be my second baseman? You know, I, I think you can find a first baseman, a third baseman, but second base and shortstop scare the heck out of me right now because I just don't know what it's going to be. Um, and I'd love for it to be Gunnar Henderson. I'd be be very, very happy if it was Gunnar Henderson. Um but uh, I don't know. It just it it unnerves me a little bit. Um, are, are you telling me that Freddie Galvis is not the shortstop of the future? Believe it or not, Freddie Galvis is not the the shortstop of the future. I mean, a, a part of me looks back just you know a few years ago in terms of you know when Machado was coming up. At least knowing Machado was going to be a steady player in your infield for years to come made me feel more comfortable than like Matt Wieters did um, as a prospect because I just knew. That was such going to be a, such a critical position, and even with Rutschman coming in to the team, I still get concerned over a catcher in terms of longevity. Um, how many games he actually gets to play? He's probably not going to play 162 games. He's probably going to play um, 140 games. It just concerns me that the Orioles don't have a above average slash superstar player um, that is in the infield right now. Um, in their depth system. And that's that's the only thing that really bothers me about that 2023-2024 number. I think the thing that concerns me is not so much 2023 or for, you know, the next time we hope to be able to compete. For me, it's the, it's the wave after that. Right now, you've got a lot of impatient fans that are upset because this team's been losing since, what, 2018. Um, but to me, it's more concerning the fact that um, – there are fans out there that are, are willing to wait because they've been sold on this process, right? They, they understand what the team is doing. They're supportive of it because they think it can work. Um, but this is a fan base that had, you know, what, five or so winning seasons and an ALDS win to show for 25 years of baseball. And that's just not enough. And, and I worry that if this doesn't work, it's going to be really hard to come back from that, right? If, if the Orioles don't build a system that can continually not be terrible, that can avoid the, you know, five to 10 year stretches of just how awful losing baseball, if they can't achieve that with the, the wave that comes after all the names we know this organization is in trouble. It's the names at the lower levels of the minors that we don't know that, that I almost feel like the pressure's on that they have to be at least okay. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I hear what you say, Jake. And like I said, I think that's very accurate. You know, one thing kind of just to close this out, you know, Matt, you mentioned your dad, you know, me and Jake are both dads too. You know, me and Jake just went this past Sunday um, with our sons we're getting into that kind of sweet spot error with my son being eight and your son is 10, Jake. That's correct. 10 or yes. 11. Yeah. So, I mean, a part of me also just thinks about this aspect of like the next generation, like you said, Jake, and like 
we as fathers are raising our kids to watch the Orioles just like our fathers did. It was just a little bit easier back when we were being raised, I would say. But like Matt, on your end, like what is your inclination to say, I'm going to continue being an Orioles fan. I'm going to raise my kids to watch the Orioles. Um, I remember talking to Jeff Long a few times and he'd be like, dude, the Orioles are the worst. Like you should find another team to watch because you would love baseball so much more. And I'm like, but they're my home team. Like I've got to root them on. Like as much as they infuriate me um i have to support the local team i mean matt is it the same way for you or is there like another reason why you continue to uh in essence turn tune in um even though they do some really dumb things all the time (laughs) yeah i mean it's it's pretty much the 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 stuff that you mentioned i mean i also feel like i'm kind of pot committed at this point i mean what what else what else am i going to do um what else am i going to do other than just make jokes about this team and hope that they can eventually get it together. Right. Cause if they don't, that, that's something that you don't really want to think about, but you have to, what if it doesn't work? What, what, what are they going to do? Um, but in terms of just kids watching the game, it, it's definitely fun when you could have a team that actually wins. Um, they, they're always going to enjoy some of the, the personalities on the team. Some of the players, I mean, my, my four-year-old uh, thought Cedric Mullins, name was Frederick Mullen, uh, Frederick Mellon. So that's, that's kind of where that nickname came from. They, they, they'll like some of the players, and they'll get attached to them. Um, so it, it, sometimes it doesn't matter to them if they win, but it's a lot more fun when they actually do. And you can kind of see what happens when they start winning. You can get to the playoffs and you can get that vibe, uh, how much more those games matter and how much fun they are. Uh, the Orioles haven't had a lot of that other than the Showalter era, era anytime soon. Um, so it's kind of just a winning team is more fun. Uh, but either way, you know, I'm, I'm still going to be a fan of this team. And, and I just want my kids to love baseball. Um, that, that's really what it comes down to. Yeah, I think it's identifying that personality uh, and basically falling in love with it. I mean, there is a lot of we'll call it hodgepodge uh, in terms of that 2012 team. Yes, there were some established stars in there, um, but there was also a lot of filler is the best way to describe it. But, you know, the fact that fans were able to get behind a player like Nate McClaus, for example, in 2012, I think those are the kind of things that it doesn't have to be great players for fan bases to get behind. It just has to be good stories and kind of memorable personas. Um, and, and fans can make a lot out of it. So, so Jake, I mean, I would say from, from an Orioles standpoint, you're probably absolutely right that the team eventually needs to be competitive in order for the fan base to basically once again, fall in love with it um, and, and continue on that tradition. If it goes into a prolonged um, basis for um, additional downturn, in terms of losses, season upon season upon season, you know, fans like us, I think, are going to continue to show up. Um, but I, I think it still puts a whole damper on the actual engagement on a nightly basis, on the excitement um, that we can see in the city um, when the Orioles are playing really well. Well, plus, you know, it makes me worry about Matt. There's only so much gallows humor that a person can uh, engage in before, you know, we have to start worrying about them. <laughs> You know, that's a fair point. Uh, I almost reached my breaking point uh, in that game on Sunday. I just, I had to go, I had to turn the game off and go outside. I was just like, I, I, I missed that crazy play and I had to kind of tune in later and see some of the clips, but like how much of this can I actually subject myself to over and over again without going crazy? It's almost like sitting in the stands and watching that with your two sons. Uh, and then also being surrounded by Red Sox fans, clearly from the local area uh, and having them cheer on the team, it was a a, a magical experience uh, to do so. Stand up, yeah. <laughs>
But uh, yeah, like I said, um, really appreciate the talk, Matt. would love to have you come on in, in the future as well. Matt writes for Pressbox. Be sure to check out Pressbox online. Uh, Matt normally writes for them uh, once or twice every week. Um, and again, give him a follow also at Matt Kremnitzer as well. Um, he is pretty much prominently promoted uh, on a weekly basis on the podcast through our This Week on the Twitters. Um, Matt, thanks so much for coming on the show. I appreciate it, guys. It was a lot of fun. And I just gotta keep insisting on oh, baby You sure do swing When it comes to kissing I just gotta keep insisting on oh, daddy You are the king Baby, you've got me beat up and down Inside out and across Oh, yeah But in the middle of the night When the moon is shining bright You're the boss We are back that's right, we're back, baby. It's Fantasy Boss. We've got about 25 weeks now to crown the 2021 Fantasy Boss champ. And if you just joined us last year when there was no Fantasy Boss, let me let me recap. Fantasy Boss is a segment in which Scott and I take turns selecting a statistic of the week, and then we each pick a player that we think will perform well in that statistic. It's like fantasy baseball, but way less interesting and with just two people who talk on the Internet. Uh, yeah, so um, we used to use this uh, segment as an approach to educate, you know, some fans, some listeners that, <clears throat> you know, may not have known a lot about uh, advanced statistics. And, and by that, I'm, I mean me. Um, but we tried to encourage people to look beyond the, the back of the baseball card. And, and I think, you know, in, in many ways, uh, baseball and, and baseball fans have, have grown beyond that. Um, so it's really not so much about education anymore. Uh, Scott, at this point, it's it's just about bragging rights uh, for uh, us being able to take advantage of luck and small sample size. Absolutely. Yeah, it, it doesn't require any academic or forethought. It is literally just throwing a dart at the dartboard uh, and hoping that you uh, end up lucky, which is why Jake English has absolutely dominated Fantasy Boss um, because he has a horseshoe shoved up exactly where it should be. So uh Jake, as the reigning champion for Fantasy Boss, um, I, I guess I get to select the category this week, or do you get to oh, select it? No, I'm gonna I'm gonna select, and you get first choice. Okay, gotcha. Play. All right, so lay me down what ridiculous stat that you are picking this week, uh, and then I'll pick my first player. All right, I was I was super bitter earlier in the week, and I really wanted to pick which reliever do you think is going to give up the most number of runs to ghost runners? But I'm going, I'm going to step aside from that. I'm going to try to grow um, and, and build a bridge and get over that. I am actually thinking a lot about what you were talking about earlier uh, with, you know, what does the offense need to do to improve? And one of the things is, is reduce the strikeouts, but I want to go to the other side of that, which is walks. I'd like to take a look at the walk uh, percentage and see which player you think is going to have the highest walk percentage over the next seven days uh, for, let's say, Tuesday's game to Sunday's game. Sure. So we got Tuesday through Sunday. Uh, I'm going to go with uh, Trey Boom Boom Mancini uh, with the highest walk rate. Okay. That's a good one. I think that's particularly a good one because after he just talked 
uh, about not not pressing as much, right? Not trying so hard. Uh, the results on Sunday were were certainly uh, for the better. I am which means go... he's going to have six home runs and no walks, and I'm going to still lose, even though I'll have like a three war uh, record for the entire week. Um, but somehow I'll still lose. Absolutely. I am going to go uh, with Michael Franco. I think that Franco has been one of the usable parts to the offense. Uh, he's had his moments, um, but part of that has been drawing a few walks. And, and more importantly, you know, whereas he has taken some strikeouts, he's not on the higher end of that. I think that Franco, uh, not that anybody's going to pitch around him, uh, but I, I think that that he is well positioned uh, to perform well in the stat over the next couple of days. So, Leads the team right now in walk rate with a 12.5% walks percentage. So, uh, yeah, great pick. So uh, my pick, Franco, your pick, Boom Boom Mancini. And so the question, of course, is who will own it? We'll check in next week. And if you guys uh, listening at home have a a suggestion for a, a category, please let us know. We'd love to hear it. Absolutely. Well, with that, uh, let's go through some of the statistics in this past week. Let's go and do some good, bad, and ugly. Scotty, it may have been an ugly week, but there were moments of light. And so I'm going to start my good this week with Ryan McKenna. Ryan McKenna, I am not sure, is going to be an outfielder of the future for the Baltimore Orioles, but he is, at least until Austin Hayes gets back, an outfielder of the present. And he uh, had a great great uh, moment this week in hitting a triple for his first major league hit. It's pretty special. Now, that's probably lost to many of us during this disastrous week. But as we go through 2021, I think that little wonderful moments like uh, a first major league hit uh, being hit for a triple are going to have to be the things to sustain us and get us through. Uh, So this week, my good Ryan McKenna, thanks for the special moment. Yeah, my good for this week is going to go to Cedric Mullins. Um, We've talked about him throughout the podcast, but... This is kind of just a, a recognition from last week as well. Um, you know, in the past seven days, 333 average, 407 on base percentage, 411 Woba, 164 weighted runs created plus. Had some great defensive plays as well with some diving catches. Uh, Cedric Mullins is playing out of his mind right now. It's not going to last for a long time. Um, but again, uh, I, we, I can really appreciate what Cedric Mullins is putting out there on a day in and day out basis. Um, it makes it a little easier uh, with Austin Hayes gone. To see him playing out of his mind like this. Absolutely. All right. My bad this week is going to go to Rio Ruiz. He had just two hits in 20 at bats this week. And this is especially difficult because when it comes to Rio Ruiz, I feel like the team gave him a second chance as a starter at the major league level. And he hasn't taken advantage. He hasn't seized that opportunity. And you can argue that learning a new position uh, defensively at the major league level may impact his, his offense, but I'm just not buying it. He is capable of more than what we're getting. And and we're just not getting very much. He had a six weighted runs created plus and a K percentage of 33 and a third percent. 
uh, looking all the way across, there's just nothing to be seen. You know, with all those strikeouts, only 4.8% walks, and he, he had a, a Wobo of 173. Rio Ruiz, I, I think, is in danger of being replaced by anyone else uh, that can get it done. There's really not a whole lot of reasons uh, to have him you know, learn on the fly and not produce here at the major league level. Agree, Jake. I, my bat is going to go to a similar player who's, in essence, playing a new uh, position. It's Ryan Mountcastle. Uh, Ryan Mountcastle has been absolutely horrible. Not in the field. He did have some misplays in the in, in the field as well. But um, at the plate, he's been absolutely terrible. Yes, he did have a home run this week. Um, but a 46.2% K rate is just not going to do it. He also had some really poor um, offensive uh, showings uh, in terms of plate discipline. Um, you know, for a guy that has to be carrying his bat in order to stay up here in the Major League Baseball, um, Brown Mancuso didn't show it at all this past week. So, you know, obviously it was dropped down in the order um, to start Monday's night's game from the cleanup spot to the sixth spot. I'm hoping that Ryan Mancuso can quickly figure it out because right now he's been pretty bad at the plate. I agree. He certainly has some ish to clean up. I will say, though, that Mountcastle is the kind of talent that, particularly in a team that's not going to win, you kind of just ride him and hope that he figures it out. I think that Brandon Hyde will give him a long leash as long as that leash doesn't harm him, right? As long as it, yeah. it won't damage his development uh, to fail, I, I think you, you, know, you dance with the date you brung and hope that it works out. Uh, my ugly this week is going to go to Jorge Lopez. Um, okay, L- Lopez is starting uh, because the Orioles need someone to suck up innings. And he is, true to form, as should be expected, pitching like an also-ran on a bad team. In his last two games, he's gone just four and also four and two-thirds innings. And in that time, he gave up four and seven runs, respectively. Yikes. That I award you one entire yike. Uh, and this isn't recency bias. Like, you know, we, we just sat through his, his game on Sunday. But this is what should have been expected. This guy is a long man uh, slash swing starter on a bad team at best. And he is being exposed for, for what I think he is across the league. So I, I guess we're just going to have to live with it um, for the while at least. But uh, this week in two starts, Lopez was ugly. Jake, my ugly for the week is going to have to go to Major League Baseball instant replay. Um, again, not Oriole centric, but that call last night in Sunday's game uh, between the Braves and the Phillies, absolutely abysmal. Um, and it just raises greater questions at this time to me of what exactly is going on in New York um, with the umpire in the sky. Um, you know, when there is clear evidence in these given regards um, and there's not an overturned, it really starts to raise the question of, what are we doing here in his instant really play even necessary anymore? It just goes further to the point though, that Nate McLeod truly did hit the foul pole and it was a New York conspiracy to hold it against us. So Jake, my ugly for this week is going to go to major league baseball, instant replay, New York. You got to eventually figure it out and get it right. Yeah. Yeah. It's uh, it's pretty ugly. It's, you know, it's not as if calls will, will, be costing the Orioles a ton of games, but it's difficult on Orioles games and and across the league to watch a a play get made where it's clear what happened and not see things get, you know, upheld or overturned the way they're supposed to be. Absolutely. 
All right, Jake. Well, why don't we go ahead and uh, blow the save this week? Uh, I think you've got something planned, so uh, I'll, I'll let you go ahead and take it. All right, I'd like to blow the save this week, and before I do, I'd, I'd like to give some folks a chance to go ahead and just close out the podcast. Scott, I'm, I'm going to fail to shut up and dribble, and I'm going to talk about something that wanders a little bit out of the, uh, out of the area of sports. So if that's a trigger warning for you, thanks for listening. Have a great week. We'll see you next week. This is your time to hit stop. All right, still with me? Okay. I had something I wanted to talk about on this week in the Twitters, and I decided not to do it up at the top of the show. But I just don't understand why Aubrey Huff is still a thing. And I was going to point out a, a tweet or three uh, that he had lobbed at the Orioles uh, for their uh, policies related to COVID-19, specifically to encourage vaccinations and also uh, to encourage masking. And um you know, we've talked about it in the past as just being the worst example of toxic masculinity. And you can go ahead and ignore him, right? Because uh, without the flame, the moth won't, won't be around. But Aubrey Huff has inspired me, uh, particularly with, um, with a tweet that he had this week that, um, that was homophobic in nature. And so I'm going to be uh, making some donations in Aubrey Huff's name to some organizations um, that can help make a difference to maybe educate people so they won't end up like this waste of a human being. Um, And my first is going to go to the Trevor uh, Project. And I would encourage anyone that's listening that feels similarly that Aubrey Huff is a stain not only on Major League Baseball but on American culture to do the same. Make a donation, $5, $10, doesn't have to be a lot, in his name, And make sure that you tweet it at him. Let him know that his actions inspire you to try to make a difference uh, so that other people uh, don't end up like him. And that, that is our show. Remember that you can find this and our entire catalog of indispensable episodes at birdseyeviewbaltimore.com. Bird's Eye View is available for download wherever it is you get your podcasts. Subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and many others. Please remember to rate and review this show. We appreciate the feedback and it encourages other people to listen for the first time. Come and get social with us. You can email us at contact at birdseyeviewbaltimore.com or for hate mail regarding this week's blown save, jake at birdseyeviewbaltimore.com. You can find us on social media. We're on Instagram, on Facebook, and Snapchat. But the best way to get a hold of us is on Twitter, where we tweet at birdseyeviewbal. And with that, Baltimore and beyond, I bid you a fond adieu, adieu. Good night, Baltimore. Be safe out there, and let's go O's. still here? It's over. Go home. 
Go.